Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck, and I am joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. And Paige, we're so excited because we have little Clara with us today. She's three months old. She's totally going to be helping with this podcast, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. We're like, Clara, (laughs) shh. Yes, we're the only ones home right now. So (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. We like Clara to participate. If there happens to be children noises in these podcasts, just know that's because we're real people. That's how it that's how it boils down. We don't we don't hand off the little people to somebody else so that we can talk to you about being there and present for your real people. We're gonna be we're gonna be (laughs) present with our little people too. So if Clara happens to make a noise such as it is. So Paige, today. We are going to talk about the magic fix for family life. And you know what? This particular magic fix just might be true. In fact, I have seen evidence of it. Now, I know I don't usually talk about magic pills and quick fixes, but today I am because I read something recently that we're going to talk about that I really believe is true. And I think that you know, even though they labeled it as a magic fix, I I think I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say it is pretty magical. It's magical because it's simple, but can make a big difference in your relationships, your connections, and your family communication. So we're going to be talking about that. But first, before we do, Paige, as is the tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we're going to be talking about a fun family activity. What's on your mind today, Paige? Well, seeing as how it's January, when we were recording, something that always comes to mind is uh, snow activities, winter activities. Now, I know not everyone who follows teaching self-government has winter in January. (laughs) Um, I know some people, it's their summertime right now. So, um, but something that works well in both times of the year is sledding or ice blocking. So obviously when you've got snow, you go sledding. Um, Sometimes that means, you know, taking an actual sled or a tube or a, you know, a piece of plastic, whatever you can find to slide down the snow. (laughs) You guys have used literally shopping bags before when we didn't have a sled and you wanted to go down. You've also just gone down in your snowsuit. You're like, it's slippery. I'm going down in this. I'd rather. Mm -hmm. I looked at your little hineys going over the bumps and went, ouch. (laughs) But you did not mind when you were little. No, no. So that's, that's really fun for snow, but ice blocking, if you haven't heard of it, it's summer sledding. So this is where you go and buy some blocks of ice and you bring some towels and you go to a nice grassy hill somewhere and you sit on that ice block with your towel on top of the ice block and you ride down the hill on the ice. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun. This is something that I used to do when, when I was in high school all the time, I had a friend of mine, um, my dear friend, Sally, she and I would go to this, uh, park. It had huge Hills. It was called Flatiron Mesa park. And we would go there and it looked, it had this big Mesa basically in the park and a huge Hills covered with grass and people would sled on them in the winter. But 
in the summer or the spring or any time that wasn't winter and we wanted to spend a dollar 50 for an ice block or in fact back then it was probably a dollar 19 or something anyway we would get an ice block and we would get some towels and we would go and sled down that hill until our ice block disappeared and it was so <laughs> fun so totally and then of course i taught my children how to do it too i remember the first time we did it Paige, you had a friend with us and um and I said, hey, let's do ice blocking. And you guys looked at me like, what? And we went to this other park with a big hill called Sugar House Park. And um, I taught you and your friend and, and all, you know, your siblings had ice blocking. You guys thought it was the coolest thing that ever oh, happened. It was so fun. Yeah, so it is. It's really, really fun. So anyway, ice blocking or sledding, just going down a hill with that free, <laughs> just wee, you know, thing is super duper fun. Paige, you do bring up a really good point as you're talking about this family activity. And that is that teaching self-government is global. So there are people all over the world that are learning about self-government skills and principles through the teaching self-government course and through our podcasts and the YouTube channel and the articles that we write and that are published in different places. And so this is definitely a movement that is really spreading around the world. We have we have mm -hmm. multiple people. We have like over 75 people just in the country of Kenya alone who are trained to teach how to teach children and family members self-government, how to improve the communication and the unity there. So people don't even know that. And we've got stuff translated into different languages. It's not always the easiest to find because some, some of those translations have been uh, stolen by some people and then we've had to make them available again i mean china we'll just say china okay stole some things but but anyway we've got japanese we've got chinese we've got spanish there's people wanting to work on portuguese and other languages um trying to get the message out to people and i know that there's some basic materials that are in swahili so um just really cool things that are happening uh, with teaching self-government. So we're happy to have you with us. So let's talk about what is self-government. Let's cover that really quickly before we get into this magic fix for the family life, which I'm really excited to be discussing today. So Paige, as we talk about self-government, we usually share the definition of self-government because that's the lens that we look through. What is that definition of self-government? So self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Right. And so right now we're learning hands-on that Clara, cause and effect, put the binky in, happier. Binky falls out, fussy a little bit. This is cause and effect. <laughs> you, might, you might hear that cause and effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a little bit. That's okay. We love you, Clara. You're an up and coming woman in the world. It's going to be amazing what she's going to do with her life. At three months, we just already know, right? I know. <laughs> anyway, so, but you know, self-government is truly liberating is what it is. When a person knows that they can control themselves, they can govern themselves. This is a recipe that leads them to freedom. Now, in order to actually practice that definition that Paige talked about, so understanding cause and effect and seeing cause and effect, also analyzing yourself and saying, okay, what are my actions doing? Am I getting the effects that I desire? And what changes should I make? This also requires honesty. So when a person is self-governing, they are honest, they are humble, they are teachable, they are focusing on moving forward. They're not holding themselves back with excuses 
or past mistakes. They're not beating themselves up. They're just saying that happened, but now where do I go from here? Let's move on. It's a super healthy way of looking at our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, keeping ourselves moving in a very healthy forward direction. It's inspiring to other people. When people are self-governing, it actually produces leaders. So not only does it increase our freedom, but it produces great leadership. And that was something that I always wanted for my family. So that's why I started to focus on self-government. And when I did treatment foster care for troubled teens, I taught them self-government too. And so that's what we teach on the Teaching Self-Government podcast and YouTube channel and on teachingselfgovernment.com. Okay, so I don't usually talk about magic pills page or quick fixes, but today I am because of a recent article that I read actually in the Epic Times. This article was published in January 4th, uh, 2022 by uh, the author was Ida Gazzola. And it was in the Epic Times right at the, uh, the front page of the family section, or I don't know if it's family, but kind of like life section or whatever of the paper. And um, it was uh, some great insight. The title of the article was The Magic Fix for Family Life, Dinner Together. And so that is the magic fix is dinner together. Now, before you turn this, this podcast off, because you're already doing dinner together, congratulate yourself. If you are already doing dinners (laughs) together or meals together, because you are rare. Okay. You are not the majority of the population at this time in life, at least in the United States, probably Canada, um, Europe, you are probably not in the majority, if you are having family dinners together on a daily basis at your house. Okay. So not in a takeout, just a regular basis, not even necessarily every day, but you know, a few times a week. Yeah, true, true, true. If you're putting it as a priority, you are steps ahead of other people in in many, many ways. We're going to talk about what some of those results or effects of having family dinners are we're going to talk about what to do when you don't get to have the family dinner how to kind of help so that you can still have some of the benefits that would come from having family dinner and how to make those family dinner times even more effective and better we're going to draw from some of the ideas that Ida Gazzola talked about in her article but also share some of the things that we know as as we created a tradition of family dinners when we were young Um, so my parents always had family dinner. I mean, that was always hundred percent. Like my parents nailed it. There was occasionally like the night where it's youth night at the church where the family dinner might be a little bit more simplistic, or sometimes we were kind of eating quickly. Now family dinner changed when my mom went back to work. So when she was an at-home mom and she was just doing little side businesses and stuff from our home, she always made sure family dinner happened. When I hit about junior high and my, my sister, who was the youngest child, started first grade. My mom actually ended up going to work, going back to work, and she was a lot more busy. And so then the family dinners became a little bit more sporadic. In fact, I actually was tasked with putting family dinners together a lot. And something felt weird to me. I just have to tell you that when mom was not there making dinner, it doesn't have to be mom. Okay. It can be dad. I know in some families, dad is like the better cook and loves putting it together. So, which is totally fine. Um, but in, in my family, mom was definitely the better cook and dad was like, um, sandwiches, you know, <laughs> so that's like, I'll do the dishes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was really good at doing the dishes. That's true. So anyway, um, but when mom wasn't there and all of a sudden I was, 
I wasn't the oldest child at home, was, but I was the oldest daughter. And I had this feeling like something was missing in the family. Number one, mom was missing. She wasn't there. And it, it kind of bugged me. I'm not going to lie. I, I, even though I understood, well, yeah, we're all old enough and sure I can take care of my younger siblings while mom's not here and everything. There just seemed like there was a connection piece that was missing because mom wasn't there. And I really wanted that connection piece. And so I started working on family dinners. I'd be like, okay, well, what are we gonna have for dinner tonight? I'm gonna start putting that together because it bugged me when everyone would come home and then we wouldn't gather for dinner if that happened, because it did happen sometimes. Sometimes people had already eaten or we were all getting older and we were coming in at different times. And, and it just, something felt unsettling to me because I had been raised with family dinners. So this is something that, you know, I remember how it impacted me when we did it and when we didn't do it. So as a mother, as when I was newly married, I thought, okay, we're having dinners together. That is for sure going to happen. Breakfast, breakfast, if you can, but if not, you know, whatever on breakfast, lunch, you're usually doing stuff. You're usually out and about, but dinner we can do. Right. And so I made a very special effort on dinner. But you know, as people get older, so as Paige got older and Quinn got older and they started doing other things, they're in college classes, they're doing things with friends, they're getting jobs, you know, sometimes jobs that are in the food industry, which means they're working right over what dinner time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It started to impact our family dinners. And we started to, and, and his dad's business got busier too. And he wasn't always making it home for a dinner time. And now normally if dad didn't make it home, I still just did it. I still, mm-hmm. you know, made it a priority, but it just started to impact things. And, and I will say that we started getting more sporadic about our family dinners. And I don't know if you noticed anything Paige, during that time, but um, it definitely bothered me. And, and even to this day, now we're down to just Porter and he's <laughs> super busy with multiple jobs and sports teams and whatever that we don't always get to have that family dinner together every single day. And I notice something like there is a connection that's missing. Do you know what I'm talking about Paige? Yeah, for sure. So I, I do remember a lot of times when we were little, that we had lots of family dinners, you know, around the table and it was a pretty consistent thing. But I I did notice that as we got a little bit older and, you know, people started having things right around dinner time or over dinner time that, yeah, it didn't happen as often. But I think, I mean, we still regularly did have dinner together. It just wasn't always every day, but I did notice it. Right. And so, but I think because we made it a habit when we were younger, we always remember that influence and remember the effect that it had on our family and our relationships and our togetherness time. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of families who will, when they sit around the table, they talk about the goods and the bads of the day, you know, the sweets and the salties. And that's, that's gives them an opportunity to, you know, start good conversations and to have that time together. But I know for me, there have been, there've been a couple of times in my married life where, you know, I make an effort to make a nice meal or, you know, at least make some decent food And my husband, Joseph will come home from work, you know, having already eaten something or he'll go to the fridge to get leftovers from something else. And I'm like, hello, like I just made food for dinner. (laughs) So you're not disagreeing appropriately. We'll have to talk about that. Right. So, but no, we've talked about a couple of times, you know, where we've, we haven't had that family time Mm -hmm. and I've put the effort in to try and make that happen. And I'm like, Okay. Let's, let's talk about this and try it again. <laughs> it can, you know what? Here's the thing. 
is actually there are so many flavors in our society today. There's so many flavors, so many foods to like and not like, so many things to crave, to hope for. You know, you could be at work thinking, ooh, there is that half of a grapefruit in the fridge calling my name. <laughs> I want it. Or, okay, not maybe not everybody craves that, but I do. But like, yes, maybe you like, do, yeah. Maybe somebody's like, there's this cheesecake slice that is sitting in there. I'm going to come That's home more up my alley. <laughs> and I'm going to eat that. Right. And so then when something else is there, you're like, but I've been dreaming about the cheesecake. I don't want to eat this other thing because then I may not want the cheesecake. And so, and so sometimes we get very selfish when it comes to the food itself. And we forget that the dinner, the time with the people is actually the important thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what we want to talk about. So I do know what you're talking about, Paige, when you put in, you know, effort on a meal and people don't eat it or they don't care about it, um, you know, because they're not showing the same priority that you put into the meal. And I think that's the big thing is that, you know, when you put priorities, when you keep uh, the family as that high priority by making that mealtime a high priority, it shows something to everybody mm-hmm. and it shows them to you too. And when they don't act in a way that it's a priority coming back, it can kind of feel a little bit painful. This might be where we disagree appropriately or have to accept no answers, but um, that doesn't mean there still wasn't a benefit in putting that effort forth, even if a person already ate before they got there, but hopefully right. they would know not to do that. See, if you do it on a regular basis, if you're always doing deal, meal time together and you say, you tell, then you say, we are not going to be eating before because we are always going to have a plan for dinner always. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not here, we're going to have talked about how there's no plan for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the plan. <laughs> but, there's always but, a plan unless there is no plan. <laughs> exactly. But there, will, there will be a discussion that happens about the dinner, which at least keeps it as a priority. So yeah. Anyway, family dinners as a priority really, truly are magical. And so let's talk a little bit about some research. Okay. So let's, let's base this in some science. All right. This isn't just like my opinion or Ida Gazzola's opinion, but this is actually truly research-based. So Harvard researchers have studied family dinner. They have something called the Family Dinner Project that's um, run by one of the professors, Ann Fischel. And they said, research has shown that parents have known for a long time that sharing a fun family meal is good for the spirit, brain, and health of all family members. Recent studies link regular family meals with the kinds of behaviors that parents want for their children, higher grade point averages, resilience, and self-esteem. Additionally, family meals are linked to lower rates of substance abuse, lower teen pregnancy rates, less eating disorders, and less depression. Which actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because if you're spending time with your family, then you're learning good family values and you're coming to value um, the other people in your life and how much they actually have input. And so if you cherish your family in that way and you see their relationship as something that is important, then of course it's, you're going to have less instances of you know, people going to drugs or abandoning family morals and good morals and getting pregnant, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, and let's look at some of these things, depression, disorders, um, low self-esteem, maybe not having good resilience. These are things that people might go to therapy for. And Anne Fischel, who is a professor of psychology at Harvard, like I mentioned, she says that so many of the things I try to do in family therapy actually get accomplished by regular family dinners. That's amazing. 
That is astounding for a psychologist to say. Free therapy right there. Yeah. She's saying you want, you think your family members need therapy? Start having dinner together. That could solve a lot of your problems. That's amazing. Now, this doesn't mean it's going to solve everything, but it's going to help. And she says so many of those things that she does in family therapy are solved in dinner. So I love that. You know, many people think, oh, well, the child can't come to dinner because they've got too much homework. Actually, it produces higher grade point averages, says the studies. Mm -hmm. So taking a break to eat dinner and have that social and connective time with the family actually helps the child excel in their academics. So that means missing dinner to push through academics might not actually be as helpful as taking that little break. We know that sometimes refueling our spirits, our minds, our hearts is good things. And so um, and, and they were saying that the family meal is good for the spirit, the brain, and the health. So the physical health of all of the family members. So this is mm-hmm. huge. This is huge. Paige, we love Leonard Sachs. <laughs> and Leonard Sachs also has talked about family dinners. What has he said about family dinners? I think, I think he's got some important insight. Yeah. So he says that research shows having a family meal at home without distractions is important every day. Now that is key. So not only is having a regular family meal at home every day important, but having a meal without distractions is huge. Oh, there are so many distractions. And I know some people are thinking, well, that rules out us out. I've got a toddler. The whole meal is a distraction. Okay. But that's <laughs> but your toddler's part of the family. <laughs> yeah. So that's different because that's part of the family dynamic and everybody might get a little chuckle out of the toddler and the toddler might leave the table for a second and then you're like, come back and then they come back and then, you know, but it's like still actually part of the family. That's different than other distractions though, Paige. There are a lot of things that can get in the way. Mm-hmm. It's just too easy to bypass the kitchen table or, or the countertop or wherever you normally eat. It's just too easy to bypass that and walk straight to the couch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Too easy to be like, let's just watch a show while we eat tonight. Because then yeah. it just seems like, ah, the perfect, I feed my body, my brain gets this little break you know, and it seems like just what the doctor ordered. Yeah. And I think it's okay to have like, you know, a pizza, a pizza movie night every now and then, you know, but not all the time. And I know like there's a whole industry made around selling TV dinners, you know, it's not healthy and it's not healthy for your relationships. Usually not as healthy for your physical body when you indulge in those fast foods and stuff, but having that time where you're around a table or at a a designated area where there's no phones, which is a big one, no TV, you know, no radio that's going to take your attention away from conversing with your family is the best. Yeah. Okay. So Paige, I don't know if you remember that old show. I mean, we're talking old. This was like made before you were even born, but it was called, it's called While You Were Sleeping. I love that one. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So in this old show, While You Were Sleeping, there's this scene. And because I just recently watched this show, there's this scene where the main character is, she's been invited to dinner at this family's house and she has no family. And she's been invited to dinner at this family's house for like a Christmas dinner. They're doing kind of a belated Christmas thing. 
And she is like, oh no, it'd be too awkward. I don't want to go. And so she sits down and she's got her microwave dinner sitting on the table with her. She pours some milk for her cat in a bowl that's sitting right there by her. <laughs> she dips her Oreo in the cat's milk and eats it. <laughs> and she looks at her microwave dinner and her Oreo. And she's like, what am I doing? I'm sitting here being all alone when I've been invited to be with people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that moment really just speaks to every person's soul. Like that's not what you want. You don't want to be sitting there yourself, not getting any fulfillment out of this time when you could be with people and you could be bonding. So then she, she pushes the dinner back a little bit. I think she still eats the Oreo. And then she goes <laughs> to this house and you see her come in and they're like, hey, you came. Lucy, I think is her name or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, you came. And, and she sits down with them and she's looking at them and they're all talking and laughing and there's craziness and conversation and they're asking her questions and she feels a little put on the spot. But like, you can tell she made the right choice yeah and you can see and the realization on her face because i've actually watched this movie recently as well you can see the look on her face like wow this is so much better you know and you can see that she's actually connecting with this family yeah so good so good okay so let's talk about some of the the things that people can get out of family meals and then let's talk about how to improve our family meals okay so we've been we've been mentioning many things so far um we get we get connection with people this is huge okay this is enormous that we get to connect and bond with other people which is what this lucy character in while you were sleeping got out of the the experience when my children are dating someone and they're bringing someone home, I'm like, we are making a dinner, a nice dinner. And we love bringing, you know, dates home. When I was dating my husband, we loved, you know, I loved bringing him to visit and then having family dinners together. That was like one of my favorite things. Yeah. Well, because I mean, not only do you get to kind of test him out with your family, you get to see, can he talk to people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and how's that going to be? And what is, what are my parents? How are they feeling about him? You can tell, you can tell what's going on with the connection when you're right there at the dinner table. So my parents to this day, we're all grown. I'm now a grandma, right? <laughs> and, and we actually, still have family dinners with my parents. They will try to pick one Sunday a month and they'll say family dinner at our house. Anybody come, you know, please come. And we That's all kids, try to make kids and now That's everybody. <laughs> That's everybody just come, come for a family dinner. And that's because it really is that important. So obviously we have family dinners on holidays. We mm -hmm. have family dinners on special occasions like birthdays or whatever, but you know, you can make a special occasion out of anything and make a special food. So Paige was here with her boyfriend, Mitch. You mean uh, London? I don't have a boyfriend, Mitch. Hello. I said the wrong. <laughs> I was telling you like I was telling you. So Paige, <laughs> London was here with, I just missed that little extra name. You're like, hello, I am married, no boyfriend. <laughs> okay, got it. So London was here with her uh, boyfriend, Mitch. And this was right before Christmas time they came. And I just know Mitch loves seafood. 
He's from Massachusetts. He loves it. Lives in a little fishing village. Like I think one of the biggest fishing villages in the nation. Um, <laughs> and he um, he loves seafood and London doesn't as much love seafood, right? And I know yeah. he loves salmon and I love salmon and we got a ton of salmon and I'm like, I am going to make salmon for Mitch. Salmon and shrimp and all the stuff. Anyway, and, and he comes in and he sees this and he was just like, what? Like he was so excited. He's been in Idaho, you know, at school. Potatoes like, all the way. <laughs> yeah. London's happy about that, but like not seafood place. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, dating a girl who doesn't want to eat seafood. I mean, he just, <laughs> and so, and, and so he and I are sitting there eating shrimp and we're eating and seafood and he watches his girlfriend eat seafood. Cause what? It's a family dinner. She's got to try it. She's got to eat some of it, even if it's not her favorite, cause that's good manners. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. Right. So anyway, and he just looks at me after the dinner, we sit and talk and, and enjoy dinner time together and eat. And he says to me, thank you so much for making such a nice dinner. I mean, it was just really heartfelt that it came from him. And I felt like I will make that boy a nice dinner with fish any day of the week. Number one, (laughs) I get to eat fish, but number two, you know, when you, when he expresses gratitude, yeah, in such a heartfelt way, um, it was just really beautiful. So anyway, so then I had to buy more shrimp later and Joseph got to eat that with me around Christmas time. Yes. Anyway, so just had to buy more shrimp. All right. So um, when we make a family dinner, it shows the family that they're a high priority or whoever's Mm -hmm. coming, that they are a high priority. Does it take work and does it take extra planning? Yes. Yes. But it's so worth it. I know the days when I make an effort to have dinner ready before Joseph comes home from work. I feel that I love him more, even though I've done more work, you know, but it's because I'm working for the both of us and I just feel so much more connected to him and ready to make further connections. But see, I think that's so significant and people do not think of that page. They do not recognize that as they are prioritizing their family members and their loved ones by making them food they are falling deeper in love with them. Mm -hmm. They are bonding to them. So then when they see them, they increase bond instead of feeling resentment or selfish. Yeah. Well, because you're actually, you're giving service. And Mm -hmm. um, a lady that I really revere, she told me one time, you know, service is love in action. Mm -hmm. And that is one of my favorite quotes ever, ever, ever. That's something that I'm willing to work for and to plan ahead for. Yeah. So Paige, one of our benefits then is you get increased love. The person making the meal gets increased love. Should they choose to? I mean, if you're going to make the meal and be all begrudging about it, you're going to be like, I'm such a martyr. I have to make this. I really don't like making food. If someone's going to be like that, then you don't expect to fall more in love with your family. But if you're doing it out of love, guess what happens? You experience more love and they, especially as they're more mature, experience more love for you too. Mm-hmm. I know that when you're having your child look at green beans and they don't want to touch them, it <laughs> seems like you don't love them. But if dad eats the green beans, whether he likes them or not, and says, this is a great meal, honey, then he teaches the children, actually, this is good. You got to get used to green beans, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> Mommy's trying to take care of your nutrition. This is good. See, and that, yeah. that comment is stemmed out of uh, past experience. So. <laughs> yes, my husband, but he did always thank me for a good dinner. And if you guys were ever talking bad about dinner, he would correct you about it. 
That's you would true. say, no, but we don't talk like that. You do not say that to your mother after she has spent all this time and effort making a meal for you. She has shown you love and she, he made sure to, you know, yeah. um, correct you guys on that, which I always thought was really good. So mm-hmm. that should be a constant people should be, you know, spouses should be sticking up for each other and supporting each other when it comes to dinner time. That said, you know, make good food, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> The majority of the time you should be making food the family wants to eat. Can you bring in new things to try? Sure. I think you should. And should you be watching out for the health? I think yes. But like, try to also find things that people want to gather for and get excited about, especially as you're establishing the habit of a family dinner. So if you've not been doing family dinner and you're like, we're going to do this, start with something everyone loves, you know, pasta or something. Start with something that everybody is going to be like, yay, I love steak or whatever, you know, homemade French fries. What mom? What? You You never make those. Yeah. Like that's amazing. So start making some of those cool things and then bring in the Brussels sprouts later if they don't like those. So you know, yeah. get, let the habit develop first a little bit. I love that. No. And I love that you, um, kind of talk about, you know, dad correcting us because in those moments when we decided to speak up about our dislike of something, um, you know, he would correct us. And that actually helped us develop our social skills because when we're corrected about something that maybe was, you know, not appropriate, then we start to learn, Oh, you know, that's not, that's not something we talk about or something that we say, at the dinner table or in groups in general, you know? Mm -hmm. And so as, as we spent time together and talked about things and were corrected about different things that we said, you know, maybe we had some potty humor or whatever. um, We learned what was okay and what wasn't in social situations. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not to say that our family was all about, you know, properness at the table because because there are super, super refined tech. Yeah. So we are pretty casual folks. We're really informal. Okay. With how we communicate and talk with each other, but Mm -hmm. we do want to teach our children some basic manners and basic (laughs) etiquette and refinement, right. And teach them how to set a table and teach them, you know, what to do with the napkin. Hopefully they remember, you know, when they're (laughs) later, you know, that kind of thing. So teach them a few things, but we're not going to be all super prim and proper. It's got to be comfortable environment. So if your family is a little bit more formal and that's comfortable, then great. But if you're more an informal group, then you can still have family dinner and have it be somewhat informal. You can eat on paper plates. It's okay. Is it nice to also pull out the good serving dishes though, and the good Mm -hmm. dishes to show the priority? I think yes. I think, yes, I try to look for occasions to pull out China, you know, Thanksgiving comes, let's get out the China and let's have that, you know, happening. Christmas Christmas coming. Let's have the China on Christmas morning breakfast, Uh, because that's probably the only breakfast of the year. We're going to have China. Okay. (laughs) But, but we're, but we're doing it even if it takes more dishwashing because it shows the priority of that meal and of those people and of the time that I put in, you Mm -hmm. know, to, to making the food. And so, you know, it's okay sometimes, but is it also okay to eat on paper? Yes, it's okay. The point is that the people come together. That's the main point. And that's the biggest thing you want to get out of it. 
and developing those social skills. Paige, you know, you brought up something to this correction and um, it is good to correct the children and help fine tune their social skills. I think we need to be careful that we're not too intense about it though. Right. And that we're not making it that every dinner is the time that mom and dad tell us everything that's wrong with us. Right. You no, know, it's if something comes up that is really like, whoa, okay, we need to talk about that. Or, you know, we probably shouldn't talk about that, you know, here mm-hmm. at the dinner table. Then it's just like, you know, let's, let's not do that. Uh, let's talk about something else. And then we can and, just leave it go, let, like, let it go and yeah. start a new conversation. And if it's something that is, you know, that needs to be addressed, you can always talk about it in a parent counseling session, mm-hmm. you know, when it's just one-on-one. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, the conversations and stuff that happen. So we definitely, should not, and this is an idea for how to make family dinners better. Okay. We definitely should not be afraid of different opinions at a family dinner. So people, we want to have good open conversation. Mm-hmm. We want to open up topics of conversation. Paige already mentioned one idea that some people share their salties and sweets or their goods and bads of the day or something like that to get conversation started. If someone shares an opinion that as a mom or dad makes you concerned and you're like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that. A wise parent guides them toward something that is good. So GK Mm -hmm. Chesterton said the object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. So we want to open the mind, open the mouths with the family members, but then let's guide them towards shutting it on something solid, which is a principle, something that they can hold on to for life. So maybe if they talk about how they, you know, just hate a certain thing or a certain person, you can be like, wow, I really hate that we're talking about hate here at the table. (laughs) And then you can say, okay, well, let's talk about that. Huh? I wonder if there's any good qualities about that, that we're missing. Right. Mm -hmm. I wonder if sometimes when things bother us, it's because we're only focusing on the thing that bothers us instead of trying to get the whole picture. I wonder if getting the whole picture could make a difference. Yeah. I love that you, I love that he mentions in his quote there, that you have to close the mind on something solid because I feel like a lot of discussion topics don't have a lot of substance. Mm, yeah. And, you know, cause I know there was a time you told me that Porter came home uh, from being with his friends at a, at a social gathering. And he's like, mom, all they talk about is video games. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's, there's nothing to discuss there. No, he's like, I don't even know if I can be friends with them. Yeah. There's nothing to talk about. And so when you have those things, you know, there's, there's definitely just like surface level conversation where there's not much to chew on, on that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's, it's like cotton candy, you know, it's there one minute and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So totally. you got to have your, your meat and potatoes conversation. And, and this is the best time to have it because we can say, listen, everything is safe to talk about in this family. Everything is okay. Now, uh, maybe occasionally somebody might bring up something that is like amoral, like off the track. Well, you have two options. You either say to that person, let's talk about that one after just me and you. And then you explain to them, this probably isn't the best one for dinner conversation because not everybody's mature enough to handle it. (laughs) Or you say, this is a very interesting topic. This comes up all the time in society nowadays. In fact, this relates to a lot of current events. So let's really dive into this. If you want to discuss mm-hmm. it, I hope you're going to be open-minded about how deep this, this topic actually goes. 
Yeah. So, and then you can start sharing things. So hopefully you're prepared. I did always believe in being a really well-read parent, making sure that I was up on what was going on. And, you know, in the, in the media, like in the news, I don't watch the news every day, but like keeping up on major things that are happening, um, keeping up on ideologies and isms and belief systems and worldviews, stuff like that, so that I could see where something was coming from so that I could hopefully steer it. So as a parent, the more that we learn, the, the more we can give in that dinner conversation right? We can discuss deeper and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But let's say we just need to get it started, Paige. Okay. Let's say we just need to get it started. I have a dear friend. So I speak at conferences all the time. Right. I have a dear friend. Her name is Monica Irving and sweet little Monica, little etiquette lady. She has this great thing. It's like a game. And it's called, do you know your family? Let's talk. And one time at a conference, she, she and I were talking about her stuff and she showed me this game. And I'm like, I totally want that game. Cause I just want fun <laughs> things to talk about at dinner or anytime. And it's not like we had an issue talking about things at dinner, but it's just like, these are fun. No, it's just like a new idea. Like just sometimes yeah. a new idea. Sometimes we pull out one and we're like, ah, oh, no, we just did that one recently. Let's pick a new one. <laughs> so, so if you go to the etiquettefactory.com, you can find this very cute game called, do you know your family? Let's talk. And it's not even that much money. It's like super cute. She made it. I love it. This is a little canister and this little bag of, of topics that you can take with you. So I just want to share with you, if you pull one out and then everybody starts discussing and you could like have people take turns pulling them out. I mean, it's like the easiest game ever because you're not even keeping points. It's just a discussion game. <laughs> so, so I just am going to pull out a couple here. So l- listen to this one. What's the funniest thing you used to believe, but thank goodness you don't believe that way anymore. <laughs> I and love that question. Think about that. I mean, it could be anything from, I used to think that bananas grew this way, but actually they're growing down, but they actually grow like up, you know, or whatever, or, or it could be something else. Like I used to think that when you put on a bandaid, you had to keep it forever until like it healed up because I thought that's what was actually healing you. And boy, my <laughs> band-aids would get so dirty, right? I mean, like you could talk about anything with that. Such mm-hmm. a fun topic, such a fun topic. Okay, here's another one. Have you ever been lost from your mom or dad? If so, how were you found? And what do you remember about the circumstance? Hmm, Paige, what would you say? <laughs> Oh, I've got a good one for that one. Um, During one of our traveling escapades, we were in England, London, to be precise. And we took a tour of Buckingham Palace, where I happened to speed ahead of everyone else because I thought everyone else had gone ahead of me. And I got lost in Buckingham Palace. (laughs) Yeah, we had like all these people searching for her in Buckingham Palace. It was so awful and luckily she was older we didn't lose the little children yeah i was like one of the older teen or something like that okay she's she's pretty stable she's gonna be strong i'm pretty sure she will not leave the buckingham palace area but where in the world is she we went all the way out we're looking we had to get admittance to go back in we're like where is this person anyway it was absolutely it it was exciting (laughs) yeah one of our most vivid memories of our trip to britain 
Yep. Okay, here's another one. Have you ever played in the rain? If so, when and where and who was with you? Oh, all the time. Whenever it rained, some of our favorite things to do, I would take London and Porter um, and sometimes Quinn, you know, when we were a little, a little younger, but we, we live in a cul-de-sac. And so there's uh, a dip at the end of the cul-de-sac, kind of like a gutter. And uh, the rain would run down the hill and run right through the gutter. And so we would go and play in the rain in the gutter and we would um, send rocks from the neighbor's yard down the water and race rocks. I'm sure they lost lots of rocks that way. I'm sure the rocks were, the neighbors were very grateful (laughs) about that, how their rocks would end up two blocks away because of the torrent of rain. My favorite rain that we ever played in was when the overflow from, it rained so much that there was an overflow from the reservoir that was by our house and so and it was running down the street and the, the overflow goes right behind our house it was huge like and the and the rain so much that on the neighbor's yard I found a toad that we ended <laughs> up keeping as a pet and during that very same time we were back there you know like scooping up water and and dumping it and whatever and having fun playing in the river it was a river which in, was a it, street like, behind our house it, down the street and i remember one child put a two liter bottle in the river he was like you know putting water in and dumping it out he put it in he pulled it out and there was a fish a full-size fish that had been slammed into that two liter <laughs> bottle and we were all like what, what? The water was so strong. And at that time we had some little killdeer birds that were putting a nest in our backyard. And, and we were, they were walking down to the river with the birds and we were like, they're going to get swept away. There was so much that happened and it was all because of that massive rain. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what a crazy thing with that rain. Okay. Here's another one. Have you ever found out? Oh, sorry. Not have you ever, I just changed the whole tone of this. Um, (laughs) Let's try again. If you found out that you only had two weeks to live, what would you do? <laughs> okay, we don't have to answer all that, but see the kind of questions. Or here's another one. Have you ever seen a miracle happen? If Aww. so, explain. What a great thing. You know, I was just on a call with one of my business managers who, who runs a lot of things for teaching self-government. And he was telling me about a miracle that just happened in his family. His little daughter thought they thought she was going to have to have appendix surgery and then boom, she didn't. And the miracle for how that happened. And, and I was so grateful he told me. And I thought, you know, these types of stories are what unite you to people. They help you know what's going on on the inside mm-hmm. of them. You see their faith. You, you see um, the things they're grateful for, you know. Here's another funny one. Uh, what sound makes your skin crawl when you hear it? You know, I mean, it's just a funny one, right? Uh, here's another one. If we asked your friends, what do you complain the most about? What would they say? Mm-hmm. Ooh, there is a little honesty moment. Okay, if we asked your friends what you complain about Mm, would it be the weather would it be the temperature would it be the food choices would it be you know what would it be I bet if you asked my best friend she would say that I would get most upset about other people's lack of social skills (laughs) there you go see so and then you could talk about that well let's talk about social skills and what people are missing right and you could talk about that around the dinner table so you see that 
Um, this is huge. In fact, like if you asked my friend, my, my best friend, well, dad would be my best, best friend. So I could think, what would dad say? I would complain about probably the cold. Ah, it's cold. You know, um, <laughs> what would my other best friend, uh, Yvonne probably say that I would complain about? Um, and I don't know if it would be complain, but thing we talk about an awful lot. Um, it's just how much, I don't even, I, the first word that comes to mind is stupid, but I don't want to say it that way. How, how much inaccurate things, okay? Ignorant untrue, and inaccurate. Yeah, ignorant, inaccurate, untrue things that people keep believing and getting emotional about, you know, mm-hmm. in the world. Like that would probably be what it was. Because, you know, we sit and talk about, can you believe people are believing, you know, believing this? <laughs> like, what, do people not even know how to think? Like, where's our thinking ability? Anyway, all right. So these are all types of things that you can use. So if you want to get that game, you can go to etiquettefactory.com or it's probably the etiquettefactory.com. Yeah, the etiquettefactory.com. You got to write all those things out there and you can find that game or you can just come up with your own ways to discuss all kinds of things. You can write down your own topics for conversation before dinner. You can be like, I'm going to ask this and I'm yeah. going to ask this. No, right? actually, there's a restaurant close to where I live that actually has something similar to that. They have little pails on each table with little chips that have questions. And I'm like, that's so awesome. That is fun to try to get people not to use their devices because what distracts us the most at dinner time? Remember we talked about distractions and how we need to have it free from distractions. The it's phones. phones and TV. Yep. The phones and the TV and the tablets. Which the is why calls. like restaurants with TVs in them, like what's the point? Yeah, restaurants with TVs, they don't want you to talk to each other. And, and restaurants where you order on the screen, I'm sorry. I'm like, let me no. talk to a server. Can a I talk person? to a person? Like I want <laughs> to have communication at my mealtime. You know, that's like the whole point of the mealtime is you're going to connect with people. There are some people who are single, who live alone. They go to a place to eat every couple of days just so that they can have that connection. Some people will go almost every day just so that they can see a server and talk to somebody. They need that connection that much. That's how important it is for our spirits and our minds to have that. Now, one other thing you can do to improve your family mealtime is you can invite people Mm-hmm. to come to your dinners. And so you can have guests. Now I wouldn't do it every single day, you know, but if you once a week or once a month or something had a guest for a mealtime, think of the new conversation that could come. Well, we used that. to have, we used to invite uh, families over to join us, you know, our friends, their whole family, we'd invite them over mm-hmm. for a barbecue or, you know, for a holiday themed dinner, um, and that was so fun because we could get some new insights on things. We could, like you said, have new conversations um, and just interact with those people that we don't get to interact with all the time. Yeah, totally. I remember we even had your music teacher over yeah. like a few times. We'd, oh, let's have him over. He He's a single guy. He doesn't have anybody to eat with. And let's have him over for dinner, you know? And so, and we would hear about him more. And then you knew more about him, mm-hmm. which was awesome. So um, the, when we had him over, I remember London and Porter were a little smaller, so they probably don't remember as many of those dinners with him, but you and Quinn really participated. You really discussed and you stepped up to it socially, which was great. Um, we had to have a little bit of patience with the younger siblings, but you know what? That's something <laughs> that a person learns in a family dinner, a family yeah. meal. And we probably should not just say dinner because guess what? If you can't do dinner because work schedules or whatever do lunch. it is. Do breakfast. Do, lunch, do breakfast. 
have There's a next. Sunday, have a Sunday meal. Yeah. Meet somewhere, you know, once a week and have a picnic at the park, which can still be a family meal. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be around your dinner table, but it's something that you can do. Another thing that can make your family meals better is if you cooperate when you are putting the meals together. So you get ideas from each other. You make a meal plan together, perhaps. I've never been amazing at meal plans, but some people are. (laughs) And um, you prep together, you serve together, you clean up together. These can all be things that can increase the unity at your family mealtime, which is awesome. That's actually something that we did, you know, as part of our our chore list, you know, there would be listed, well, you know, this day it's so-and-so's uh, you know, one of their chores or one of their responsibilities to help mom with dinner or to help mm-hmm. plan dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that was actually really nice. So, I mean, there were some days where like, Oh, we don't want to help make dinner. But, um, you know, looking back as a 23 year old, um, that's where I learned a lot of my cooking skills, you know, where I learned how, Oh, you know, tomatoes work really well with these spices or work well with these other foods or, Oh, a white sauce goes well with chicken and noodles and broccoli, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. how food worked together. So that way, now that I run my own household, I can see what I have in my house and say, okay, what goes good together and make an amazing meal. In fact, that just happened the other day. I made something out of leftovers and scraps and it was delicious. Yeah. And remaking a dinner, right? Like that, yeah. that's a, it's a whole other skill, but you don't do it. If you're not having dinner enough, the first place to have the leftovers to remake the dinner right. in the second place, right? It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a provident living type skill. I definitely taught that to you guys. And that's yeah. why I haven't been super amazing about um, meal planning over the years, because I always say, well, what do I have? What do I have? Oh, yeah. We had must go make. soup a lot. Yeah, we call it fridge soup. Whatever's in the fridge. <laughs> Must go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we make it. And and actually, lots of times, fridge soup, you guys were like, that was so good. And you like loved it. Like, occasionally, it again, it didn't, I'm like, I can't make that again. That was, I don't even know the proportions of what went into that. That was whatever it was, you know? Anyway, and so it happened all the time. But we also grew a garden. And so since we were growing the food, then we would have, you know, big bowls of tomatoes sitting there on the counter or cucumbers in piles on the counter on the counter. And we're like, okay, what do we do with cucumbers? What are we going to be doing with the tomatoes? And what are we going to do with beans? And let's make more things out of what we've got out of the yard. So you guys did learn to be kind of scrappy as it were with uh, (laughs) creating food. Use what we have. Yeah. So a couple of other little points uh, that I'd like to bring up here. And that is that when a person is at a family meal, there could be some conflict that could arise. Mm -hmm. And, and when we are dedicated to the, the family meal time and sharing that unity and stuff and that peace together that we can experience there, then people notice the conflict a little bit more. In fact, I think you can say, Hey, listen, this is how we're going to handle conflict. Um, we're going to tell people this is not, you know, the type of tone that happens at the, the family meal. So it's a no answer on that, or yeah, that we need to disagree teaching. appropriately. We can start bringing in some of the skills, some of the other teaching self-government skills that we've learned right then. Hey, at family meals, we are disagreeing appropriately. If we don't agree about something, or, you know, maybe we don't want to eat all of our food, then we need to disagree appropriately about it. Right. <laughs> Instead of whine and complain and whatever else might be happening, or if somebody's in somebody else's space or somebody takes the last tater tot or whatever it is, you know, then, um, you need to make sure that you prepare the children for how to handle it, but it's great preparation and practice for handling conflict in a way that is preserving the feeling you want for your family. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this, this last one's probably the most significant to me. And that is that when you are at a family meal, not only do you learn about your family members, but Paige, you learn about yourself. You learn about yourself. You know, yeah. you, th- you think, you think, you know yourself, but when you start seeing yourself through other people's eyes, when you hear yourself communicate about what's important to you or what scares you or what memories you have, you realize that your life is significant, mm-hmm. that it's important, that you have value. And this increases words like things like self-esteem, a word I don't love because a lot of people think that self-esteem is increased by other people and it isn't. And so they, they get it off. But anyway, it increases confidence. It increases self-esteem, self-image, self-worth, valuing yourself as well as valuing all those other people around you and think of our young people today think of how they are struggling with not liking themselves this family dinner could be exactly what they need to see how valuable they are it is worth the effort it could literally save people's lives literally save their lives so just a little while ago i was having a scripture discussion with uh london's boyfriend's family so um they get together and they have conversations every sunday because he can't be with them in massachusetts because he's out here in the west and because he's going to school in idaho anyway and and we were talking about family time and i just happened to say to him well hey mitch you know what's the what's your memory and and what's your favorite thing as far as family time like what has made the biggest impact on you and he sat there for a second and then he said family dinners. I love family dinners. And my mother has always made that a big priority. And, and I feel like the whole family is bonded together. And when I was gone on my mission for my church for two whole years, I missed those family dinners. Yeah. I wanted those family dinners. And so, and I tell you, like, that's quite the testimony, isn't it? You know, here we've got, a but he's a very, he's a very socially no, mature, 20, I guess. Yeah. Person. He is yeah. very mature, very um, adapted, and he's great in social situations. Yeah, twenty-year-old guy saying those family dinners were really important. Mm-hmm. They made me who I am. You know, I'm grateful to my mom for those because because it's it's hard to put all that together. And I've eaten at their house with his mother and seen her family dinners and what she puts on and and truly and had breakfast with them too, and seen how she does make sure she, she makes the time that they're going to eat together. She sits down with them. They all Mm -hmm. sit down and they talk, even if somebody's not going to eat, they sit down with them and they talk. So that's huge. That just puts the priority right there. Anyway, so that is the magic sauce, the magic tip (laughs) that we wanted to share with you today that could truly change your whole family. It could fix the family. So many things are happening there just by changing a focus and a priority on that family dinner time. So I hope you will decide right now, resolve. We are going to have one family dinner this week if we don't have one yet so far. And if we do have one, we're going to have two. If it isn't part of your family. (laughs) yeah but let them know why you want to do it give them the vision of it they may think you're kooky but say don't worry we may look at each other and stare because we don't even know how to talk to each other anymore because we haven't practiced but we're going to come up with some crazy games and maybe get that game from etiquette factory or talk about your highs and lows or your goods and bads or your sweets and salties you know whatever it is that happens in the day and just start talking even if it seems Mm -hmm. awkward 
at first. Thank you for joining us on the Teaching Self-Government podcast. You can find a lot more information about how to strengthen your family and relationships at teachingselfgovernment.com. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.